Welcome to another episode of Ask Alika, everyone. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you a live killer case study on Beats by Dre. And I'm going to be talking about their marketing tactics and why they are dominating. I did share a podcast a couple of weeks back on Beats by Dre. I did a killer case study, but this one is a live killer case study. So I was invited to speak at an event um, with a really cool company called Octavian Group. They're a mid-market advisory slash mergers acquisition company. They invited me down. I spoke on Beats by Dre. This is um, I'm, I'm going to share what I'm going to share with you is the live event itself and some of the pointers on why Beats by Dre. Beats by Dre have done so well. So stay tuned. This is a two-part series. This is part one where I speak on the marketing tactics of Beats by Dre and what you guys can do about it in your local businesses or as a marketing manager for your firm. The second part of the series will be Brendan Cockrum speaking on some acquisition finance and acquisition tips on Beats by Dre because they got bought over by Apple. He talks about that. That'll be uh, the second part of the series. But for now, enjoy this live killer case study on Beats by Dre and their marketing tips. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be going through a case study. Um, does anyone know Beats, Beats by Dre? Does anyone use the headphones? Yep. Cool, cool. Um, all right. So before we go ahead, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. So that's me at 11 years old. Um, I very quickly fell in love with basketball cards in, in the early 90s. I actually got obsessed with them. I would actually study them every single night to the point where I would memorise things like the field goal percentage of someone like Scottie Pippen for the 1996 season, right? I would actually memorise those stats, got obsessed with it. Uh, but as I, was in, as I was getting really involved in basketball cards, I actually started to enjoy um, this whole business thing, right? So I actually started off with pretty bad basketball cards and then I traded up and I got better and better cards, right? So what happened was um, I started trading, car, trading up, I started getting really good cards and then I started selling them. And then what I started doing was I started selling cards to stores. Um, so I would sell them to kids at school and then I'd sell them to stores. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Like I really enjoy this whole negotiation thing, buying and selling thing. Um, and then I thought, oh, what can I do next? So then I started buying basketball cards in bulk and I would sell the packets one by one to my friends and make a bit of a margin off of that. Um, and, then, and, then, and it was funny because, you know, like I was in, I think I was in year seven at the time and, the, and then I was in... And then there was a year five kid that was running down uh, the school ask, with a $5 note asking for me, saying, oh, where's Zion, where's Zion? And there was a teacher that was, I think it was the deputy principal that was walking by. And he was like, have you seen Zion? She had a $5 note in his hand. Uh, and she was thinking, what's going on here? So she actually talked to me and said, what's going on? This is not, this is, is something going on. Are you selling things that, you know, we don't want you to sell? And I was like, no, 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 it's just basketball cards. It's all for fun. It's all for fun. Uh, so it got to that point where it got pretty serious. And then I actually opened up a basketball card store in my parents, out of my parents' garage, where me and my brother would actually sell cards, listen to rap music, and play basketball uh, in, the front, in the front yard. And I'd invite my friends, and we'd do that uh, you know, once a week. And, and like, to be honest, I had the best time of my life. Like, that was pure entrepreneurship. Uh, and then what happened is, you know, life happens. You, you go to university, went to university, struggled in uni because I'm not really an academic. I don't think that way. Um, and then you did a business degree, but you know that I don't think that really helped me in my business career. Uh, and then after that, I got a, into a grad program in corporate banking, hustled my way into the entry program. 
uh, hated banking, smashing my head against the you know, brick wall every day. Uh, it wasn't for me, right? A lot of my friends, they love it, they're still in it. It just wasn't for me, right? So I always wanted to do business. Uh, and then what happened was I remember looking at uh, my manager who was about 45 at the time and I was, I was 21, I think, and he was on the phone and he kind of looked half constipated and half angry at the same time. And he was talking to a client, right? Just let me know when this was. He was, he was talking to a client. That's me smashing my head against the wall. Uh, and he, he, he just didn't look happy, right? And I was envisioning myself 20, 25 years down the track thinking that's going to be me if I don't get out of this thing, right? And so at that point, I made the decision to get into business. The question was what business? And to be honest, at the time, I didn't care what business I, it was. Could have sold rubbish bins for all I cared. I just loved the business. Um, I was on a play with my brother and he said, why don't you get into the whole world of digital? And I thought, oh, that's an emerging world. It's a very interesting world. Yep, I'm just going to do it. Didn't know anything about coding. Didn't know anything about digital at the time and just learned it by myself every night. So every night I'd sit, I'd sit down and I'd start coding and learning uh, by myself. And then we built this company, Alika, some of my team. Um, and away we go. So Alika in a nutshell, digital marketing agency, the biggest in Perth. We've got 45 people. And uh, it's owned by myself and my business partner, Bernard Chia. And I absolutely love what I do. I love making people money by using the internet. We build websites. We do digital marketing campaigns. I've got three little kids. I actually built the business while raising, uh, raising these kids. But by the time the last one came out, I was pretty knackered, like literally. <laughs> it was probably the hardest time of my life, but the most, obviously, the, the biggest blessing. Um, obviously, they're, they're, you know, they're a big blessing. Um, so that's my story in, in a very quick nutshell, right? Love business, love digital marketing. I really love Beats by Dre and um, I love, you know, what they've done. Not, not because of the product but because of how they've marketed themselves. And um, I just want to kind of share with you guys the top five marketing tips for Beats by Dre. And uh, before that, I want to talk a little bit about Apple. So does anyone... Um, does anyone know like what Apple was known for before Steve Jobs died? Like, if you guys can just kind of spit out some words, what are some kind of buzzwords that they're known? For, they were known for. Anyone want to have a crack? Yeah, iPhones. Innovations. One. What was the What was the other? The iPod was a big. So these are products that any kind of like. Um, like innovation is one they were known for. Innovation. Yep. In touch with technology. That's another one. Oh, the, the touch screen. So they were, again, that's innovation. They were known as pretty cool back in the day, I'd, I'd think. Macintosh? They were known for the Mac. They were known to be high-end. Anything else? Their Macs were expensive. You'll never get a discount. You'll never get, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll never get a discount. You will not get a discount, and I have tried. Um, they were known to be pretty rebellious back in the day, right? So Steve Jobs, what do you guys think of when you think of Steve Jobs? You think of Apple, yep. And what do you think of in terms of values? None. 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 <laughs> he was mean. He was mean to his people. That's the truth of. He was. He was, and they glorified it, unfortunately. So I, I don't. I don't respect him for that part. Um, I'm not a big Steve. Garage. Yeah, they started in the garage. Yeah, they were the first ones to network computers. Yep. Yeah. Um, they were known. Apple was known to be revolutionary, and they were known to be cool, and they were a bit rebellious at the time. Mm -hmm. Then after Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs passed away, Tim Cook came over, and things changed a little bit. Like their whole kind of brand values changed. They, they weren't really perceived in the same light, a bit more corporate. Uh, and, and I don't know if you guys remember the iPod before iPhones, like they were known for their music. 
Like people, you know, and music, there's a huge cultural element to that. So they were big in culture, right? And that's huge in marketing, especially in B2C. So something happened after Steve Jobs died, they became a bit more boring. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I think they bought over Beats by Dre, because Beats are cool. Dr. Dre <laughs> is cool, right? So let's talk about the five marketing lessons from Beats. And I wanna, what I want to do is, um, has anyone read like, you know how there's all these books out there like Amazon and IBM and you read them and you're like, oh, that's cool for them, but they're these big behemoths. How does that relate to me? Has anyone felt like that? Because I've read a lot of these books and I think that's not practical. So what we want to do today is just make it practical and bring it down to the local level. So I'm going to start with number one, influencer marketing. So 2010 London Olympics, I don't know if you guys remember LeBron James stepping out of an airplane into the Olympics. He had his Beats by Dre headphones on and then his posse behind him, all these other guys, Dwight Howard, all these other, Dwayne Wade, all these other basketball players came out and they had Beats by Dre, right? That was a move that was set up by Dr. Dre himself and Jimmy Iovine, he's the other owner in the, in the company. And that whole scene went viral, right? So that was kind of that first foray into influencer marketing. And what they actually did was um, they had the, the blessing of knowing all these artists and all these artists like Eminem and um, Lady Gaga, they would actually record under their label, right? So what they would do is like they'd be in the recording studio and then Dr. Dre would say, hey, can I give you a pair of headphones? And they'd be like, oh, okay, you're my boss, so yeah, okay. Uh, and then he'd get them to promote for free uh, the headphones, right? And so he did that almost with every single artist. And then they had them in the music videos and all that. Uh, and then you fast forward and, you know, yeah, that was great, but they also obviously pay people like Conor McGregor and they do pay LeBron James to actually promote the headphones, right? Um, but, man, that's just, it's made their product completely viral. Um, their, you know, Beats is, what, 300 bucks, I think it is. Um, it's actually not the best product in the market. Has anyone ever heard of Audio-Technica AT50? That is actually apparently better than Beats. I've read all the reviews and it's a lot cheaper than Beats, so it's got nothing to do with the product. Uh, but influencer marketing from Will I Am to even Katie Holmes, and she probably wears them for free, right? They all help with the influencer marketing tactic. Now, how do I apply this to the local market? Because we might think, oh, it's good for them, big behemoths, but what about us? There's this guy in Perth, I don't know him locally, but I've heard about this guy who has his own podcast, he does a lot of videos. It's called the Electrician Success Podcast, and he actually interviews other successful, um, not, not, not electricians, but people within the industry, um, and, and he's doing really well by doing all of this stuff, and you know, by associating with those people, he's built up his, his brand, right? And he's doing really well to the point where I've got a mate who who's an electrician, owns an electrician company, and he's worried about this guy. He's like, he's everywhere, what do I do? It's competition. <laughs> so that's how you apply it to the local market. Um, you might think, people might think that the finance broking industry is boring, but there's this lady called uh, Janine who has 25,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. Some of you guys might have seen her on there. She does educational videos. Uh, some people like the video, some people don't, but she does crush it because of the videos and she also does a lot of influencer marketing. She connects, she's smart, she connects with people that are uh, well-known in the Perth local market. She takes selfies with them, she does videos with them, she tags them and it's working really well and I do that as well. I took a selfie with this guy. He has, I think, Duke, yeah, he's got, I think, 28,000 followers or something like that. So it was very strategic. I put my logo up there and I was like, let's do it in front of our colours. Let's, let me get the Google bike so people know that we're in touch with Google and Google like us. And that netted me a 30 grand, a 30 grand deal, a 28 grand deal. 
from that one selfie. And I remember when I, when I was talking to Duke and we made sure that my, my website link was in there. And so some, some guy actually clicked on the website link, clicked on an inquiry form. Um, I got his details, I called him, turned into $28,000. So influencer marketing, whether it's B2C, B2B, international, local, it works, right? Uh, and that's a you know, picture with uh, Mark, uh, Darius Way from Health Engine. He's the, one of the founders there. And same thing, I got a huge, I got huge branding promotion from that, right? Cool. How do you connect with influencers? Anyone interested to know? If you're looking at the B2C space, if, you're big, if Instagram is a platform for your, for your market, then the B2C space, you, or, like, this, is what, this is really practical, right? You're a gym in Subiaco. You want to promote your gym. So what you want to do is probably connect with other health and fitness type industries within Subiaco, right? You go to Instagram, go to places, type in Subiaco Health, a bunch of people will come up, click on each one and direct message them and send them a polite message saying, hey, why don't we collaborate together? Um, why don't blah, 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 I'll post you, you post me, blah, 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 and do that a thousand times, right? And if you get 10 responses, great, okay? So there's a bit of work involved, but it, it works. And you can even have a spreadsheet going where you've got all the names and you just tick them off one by one. Does that kind of make sense? If, you, if you're in the B2B space, LinkedIn is similar. There's actually a way to search the influencers in LinkedIn and you can just private message them and see how you go, right? Cool. Number two, create campaign themes. So uh, does anyone know the straight out of Compton theme? Yep. So it's genius. I, I Call me skeptical, right? I think I'm just a business person. I don't think they created the movie because it was such a nostalgic experience. I think that was a bonus. I think really they created it for business opportunities, right? Um, and, you know, it's enhanced, the whole Straight Outta Compton movie that they made has really enhanced the Beats brand, right? And what they did shortly after the movie came out was they created a landing page which, was, which said Straight Outta Something where people can type in their own suburb or whatever, Straight Outta Balcata, Straight Outta Korean or whatever. <laughs> Chinatown, and everyone's like, oh, I'm so cool. <laughs> and it worked, it worked a treat, right? To the point where you've got people, you know, on Twitter doing the hashtag Straight Outta, hashtag Straight Outta Balcata, whatever. Um, and it went viral. <laughs> yeah. And then you might think, you know, um, how does that apply to the local market? Well, it actually does. I do it myself, right? It's actually simple, right? So a lot of people, they do, a lot, they do content marketing, but um, most people don't know how to label their content, right? So I've, I've got a series called Killer Case Studies um, where I talk about Netflix, for example. I talk about why they're doing well. Uh, I talk about marketing tactics that Netflix have used, right? But if I just release the video and don't really label it anything, it's hard for people to remember it. It's hard for people to, to really engage with it. So I called it Killer Case Study. Like I was in the shower. I thought, oh, Killer Case, that sounds good. Right? And it works. And when people engage with my content, the word Killer Case, Killer Case Studies, this is a snippet. People are talking, Killer Case Study, Killer And then they see me with shaking hands. Oh, I like your Killer Case Studies. Like people remember it. So whatever content marketing you do, you don't have to do it all the time, uh, but it's always good to have a label, right? And to create a theme around some of your content. Does that, that make sense? You can do that in B2C. You can do that in B2B. It, it doesn't matter. Number three, invest in sexy design. So when we first started the business, I was all about the maths. I was all about the maths of Google AdWords. I was all about um, conversion rates and, and just like I'm a data nerd. That's why I, I would remember the field goal percentage of Scotty Pippen in 1996, right? 
But then I learned very early on that, oh my gosh, the math will look a lot better if you invest in hot design, okay? So packaging, right? Beats by Dre. And Apple do this as well. It's like a whole experience when you're unpackaging the headphones or whatever. It's like, you know, the packaging probably costs more than the bloody product. And, um, and it works, right? But not only in the, in the packaging, but also in the ads that they do. The ads are just beautiful. Everyone loves beautiful things. Everyone loves beautiful people. How do I apply this to the local market? B2C apartments, we're doing a, um, a campaign for these guys, killing it because of beautiful imagery, beautiful design, beautiful photos. We had a very generic banner ad that, that represented our business, right? And it wasn't doing too well, so we, sh we shook it up and we created this, right? A lot more beautiful. And results were far, far better. The leads that came through were far better. Boom. And websites as well. It's important to invest in beautiful websites. So before this website, these guys weren't doing so well with their website. Your website came in, conversion went, conversion rate went through the roof. Okay, number four out of five, don't be afraid to spend money on digital media. Okay, now, when I say organic is dying, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone want to have a stab? So when I talk about social media and organic is dying is that there is this romantic idea that um, paying for Facebook airtime or paying for Google ads is bad. There is a romantic idea. Well, the fact is, no, it's not bad. You actually will not show up much if you just organically post. Like, things have changed, right? Facebook is a business. They're listed. Only roughly, these aren't exact stats, but roughly 6 to 10% of your organic content is shown to your audience. So most of your audience don't even see your content. So I used to do a lot of singing and stuff on my personal Facebook just for fun, I do it for business as well. And I remember I used to get 100 likes, 120 likes, all these comments. I uh, recently posted one, which I thought was good, about two to three weeks, or a couple of weeks ago, and I had 30 to, I think, 30 likes. And I was like, what's going on? I got all sensitive. But it's because um, Facebook have changed their algorithm. You're, you're just not going to show. So don't be afraid to pay. It's actually not that expensive compared to other forms of media. And social PPC, pay-per-click has targeting power. You can get in front of the right person, right? Google AdWords is also awesome, right? People, again, there's a stigma about it. Depends on your industry. People already, you get top placement. It's easy to track the results from Google AdWords. People intend to buy when they're typing search terms, right? And you pay for what you get, okay? So don't be afraid to spend money. But the last point that I'll make is when you're doing whatever digital kind of marketing you're doing, you have to be laser focused these days, more so than ever before. It's interesting that society has become, like all of us have become so different. Does anyone know what, I'm, know what I mean when I say that? Like in the 1950s, everyone wanted to wear the same stuff. Everyone wanted to watch the same TV shows. Like there was almost like a coolness in conformity. So if you observe what's happened in the decades, there's a coolness in being different. And there's so many subcultures now. There's subcultures of subcultures of subcultures. It's crazy. Right? And there's probably subcultures within the whole graffiti art industry in itself, right, as an example. So laser targeting is super important. And that's why it takes a long time if you want to do it well. The way beats do it, the game starts here, that's an ad there. That's obviously, is that sports or music? Targeting sports or sports, right? So they're targeting, they will show that ad to the aspiring athlete. And they will know who the athletes are, right? Because within Facebook, within Google, you can actually target those people. And then obviously this one, it's a Muso one, the King, Elvis, they're targeting aspiring musicians, right? So they're very clever with their targeting. And I noticed that when I watch, because I, I watch a lot of basketball stuff, 
And I notice when I spend weeks watching a lot of basketball stuff, then these types of ads pop up. And I notice that when I'm listening to a lot of music and stuff like that, these ads pop up. And then when I'm doing a combination of both, these both come up. So they're quite clever in the way they get people. How do you apply that to the local market? There's a thing called, has anyone heard of dynamic remarketing before? Sorry. Oh, that's all right. Anyone heard of dynamic remarketing before? It's basically, if, you, if, you're at a, if you're on a shopping cart and you look at this particular watch, then you'll go around the web to news.com.au and you will see ads on this particular watch. That's dynamic retargeting. So generic retargeting is not as effective. That's where I go to this watch and then I see an ad about just the company in general. Right? So it doesn't matter what pages I've looked at, I just keep seeing the same ad. Dynamic retargeting only shows you ads that you're interested in, depending on what you've looked at. Does that make sense? Yeah, shoes. That's right. You can do that B2B. Yeah, that's it, shoes. So, yeah, not hats, not shoes. Um, so dynamic retargeting can work in B2B, B2C. It can work in anything, right? Now, which, the next, the, the, actually the last thing is test, 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 test. Whenever you're doing any form of marketing and you've got to test like crazy and you've got to keep going. It never stops. Keep refining. Which ad do you guys think did better? I'll put this to you. This was, a ad, um, this was a campaign that we did for a property company. And this is a lifestyle image, and that's an image of the exterior of the building. Does anyone think that this one would have done better? Hands up. Anyone think that this one would have done better? Hands up. This one did better. Far better. I actually thought that this one would. I was the same as you, Mona. I thought that one would. This one actually killed it. And I thought to myself, why? And, and I'm, yeah, it looks like, yeah, it looks hot, it does. Look at the lighting. Yeah, they don't. It, lo it, it looks like stock imagery, right? Corny. And Aussies, you know, we like, we like people that are authentic. We like authenticness, if that's a word, okay? No, that's right. So, that's right. So, it's got to be aspirational. I think if you're aspirational and authentic, I think that hits the spot for Aussies. That's what I think anyway. What about this one? This was the one that we did on ourselves, a corporate video that was quite shiny, and then one where we pulled out a guitar and started singing, a bit rough because it was on an iPhone. Hands up, this one did better. Hands up on this one. This one killed it, and the sound was far worse. The sound was far worse. It was, Mark. And the video quality was worse, but again, it's the authenticness. Uh, obviously, being aspirational is important, but for what we do, um, that killed it. This one actually didn't do too well, and we you know, spent a lot of time on that. I was like, never again. So um, I'm going to leave it at that, guys. Those are five tips. hope that you learned something out of it. Um, happy for questions after. I'm going to hand you over to Brendan, who's going to take you through um, his part. Oh.